dives in for the touchdown. Did he get it? Yes, sure he did. Touchdown, Detroit Lions. You're listening to The One Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of The One Pridecast. I'm your host, Tori Petri, and today I'm joined by DetroitLions.com's Tim Twentyman. Tim, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, no problem. Anytime. Tim is fresh off of a trip to Miami, Florida for the Super Bowl. It looked like it was a good time down in Miami. Yeah, it didn't suck. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I always love going to the Super Bowl because everybody's there, you know, current and former players and coaches. And, you know, you even get some, you know, Lions guys down there. Darius Slay was down there. Devon Kennard. Coach Patricia was down there. So, um, you know, I always love going there for a week because you get a lot of just great stuff and get a lot of different perspective on the Lions and the NFL and everything. So it's a good week. And look, 80 degrees didn't stink either for a week. I'll right. just throw that out there too. <laughs> well, something that I liked about the draft this year was that it was in Nashville, which is a city that has its own personality, right? Like it, it has a very distinct, you know, country music, a Southern personality. And they really emphasize that, like the music scene and everything during the draft. I felt like they did a really good job of that with the Super Bowl in Miami as well, because Miami obviously has its own personality and culture. And even just all the sets that you saw on TV between ESPN and Fox and uh, NFL Network and all the different themed segments that they did, I really loved the Miami theme. Yeah, they took, they really took advantage of South Beach and Ocean Drive there. And I don't know if you've ever been down to Miami, you know, there's kind of that, that Ocean Drive kind of two miles is where all the bars and the restaurants and look they closed down the street the um the, t- the, the television guys put all their sets there in the, the, the restaurants put live music out on the street and That's it so was cool. just outdoor stuff and you could just walk you know you could walk the beach you could walk take a look at the network sets you could go eat bars there was entertainment on the street they just really did a nice job of kind of putting an all for one right there in a kind of a two mile stretch right. of um, of South Beach and Ocean Drive and then the nice part about Miami too is the convention center where the NFL experience is where Radio Row is it was a half mile from Ocean Drive. Nice. So you could walk to everything. So Miami did a really nice job, like and you said. And it's walking outside weather. It's walking outside <laughs> weather. You know, they just did a really nice job taking advantage of the beach and um, everything that kind of South Beach has to offer. And I enjoyed myself a little bit, too. I'm sure. So, yeah, it was fun. It was really, really fun. So, um, you know, I, I love New Orleans as a – um, Super Bowl City, there's obviously a lot of fun stuff to do. This is my first one in Miami, and I put it right up there with New Orleans and the ones yeah, that I've been to. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, is that there was a lot of talk on social media afterwards that people were calling for the Super Bowl to always be in Miami. And then other people were like, wait, what about New Orleans? New Orleans has something to say about this, but like... A Miami and, and New Orleans rotation wouldn't yeah. be too bad. You know, they're different. You know, where Miami takes advantage of South Beach, uh, Beach, all that kind of stuff. New Orleans is Bourbon Street and the French Quarter and food. And so they're different vibes, but they're all still really good times. So, um, you know, and every city tries to do their own unique thing, you know. So it's in Tampa next year. Then we go back to. Um, New Orleans and obviously with the new stadiums in Los Angeles right. and in Las Vegas. Right. I think the really interesting one for me will be Las Vegas. Oh, I know you're excited about that well, one. Well, Super Bowl <laughs> in Las Vegas. I mean, because it's such a tourist town anyway. So I just think they're set up for it, you know, and it'll be interesting kind of what they try to do to take advantage of 
you know, what they do well there. And so well, that'll we'll get, be a fun one whenever it does come. We'll get a preview this year with the draft in yeah, Vegas. Yeah, you're going to be so down. I'll Are you going to be in Vegas for the draft? I will. So I heard they're putting the stage in the Bellagio pool. Is that true? I believe it's the red carpet stage. It's not the actual stage where you get drafted on. Uh, okay. It's like where you walk the red carpet. And apparently they're ferrying players up in boats in the Bellagio fountain to – See, that's why I'm saying the red carpet. So can you can imagine what Super Bowl is going to be like? If if that's the draft, like what is that city going to do for the Super Bowl (laughs) for a week? So that one will be a fun one, certainly. Well, yeah, I bet the the media and the people who travel to the Super Bowl don't mind the whole warm weather aspect of any of those cities that we've mentioned in this conversation. No, Minnesota a couple years ago was a little rough. You know, and they did a nice job with it, you know, and they embraced the winter stuff and had a lot of winter activities, but you know, for us people that, you know, have a a winter, you know, in going somewhere really nice late January, early February, not taking advantage of the of weather. Town. Yeah. Not too bad at a time to get out of here. Well, it really did look like a fun time. And not only was it just a really cool setup, but Tim, you mentioned it. You talked to so many people while you were down there in Miami. I mean, I think people often underestimate what Radio Row is like and how nutso it is and just how many current former players are out there and, and just how much goes on during Super Bowl week, even if the team that you're covering isn't in the Super Bowl. And so I know you got a lot of good stuff uh, from that week. What were some of the conversations that you had that stuck out to you? Well, the craziest thing about Radio Row is like, you know, you'll talk to your player, you know, I'll talk to Darius Slay and then five minutes later, like Lizzo is going to a set and I have to get <laughs> wow, out of the way for that I'm entourage. so upset you know that I'm I saying? missed so that. So it's like, it's just crazy atmosphere for Hold four on. days on Radio I need Row. to get sent to the <laughs> Super Bowl next year just so I can cross paths with Lizzo. I, Kevin Hart was hanging around. I mean, <laughs> so it's a combination of stars and athletes and just, you know, it, it's, it's you can you can get in touch with really anyone you want to. But, you know, actually, you know, we talked to Darius Slay um, early in the week and um, you know, I asked him about Okuda, Jeff Okuda, the, the talented yeah. cornerback from Ohio State that, you know, some think that will be in play with the Lions at pick number three. And um, I thought it was interesting that Darius and, and Jeff Okuda have already reached out to each other. They've already been talking. Right. Um, you know, Slay's a big, big fan of his game. Um, and so, you know, that kind of aspect, he, he gave the youngster some advice. And so the fact that they've kind of started a friendship, I think, is a little bit interesting heading into this draft because that's a name that be associated with the Lions, you know, you know, for the next three months. And so um, I, I thought it was interesting what he had to say about him and how he'd love to have a young, um, you know, lengthy um, cover guy, kind of his, his, you know, Robin to Slay's Batman sure. you know, on the other side. <laughs> and so I thought that was a really interesting conversation. Um, you know, I made it over one day to um, San Francisco 49ers availability, um, and I talked with uh, George Kittle a little bit about TJ Hawkinson. Yeah, there were a couple of uh, pretty notable tight ends who had some thoughts on TJ Hawkinson. Yeah, Tony Super Gonzalez is another yeah. one who said, you know, anytime youngster, I'm here. You know, I think he's going to be a really good player. But, you know, I thought it was interesting. George Kittle was a senior at Iowa when – um, T.J. Hawkinson came in as a freshman, and he told me a story that the the first time he knew that Hawkinson was going to be really, really good was the first spring practice of 2016, Hawkinson's freshman year, first seven-on-seven drill in the summer, and Hawkinson went up over their best defensive back at the time and, like, mossed him and <laughs> took the ball right away, landed on his feet, went downfield, had a touchdown. 
And Kittle said, oh, I, that was the first time I realized, like, oh, boy, this gets pretty good. And he said, he kind of joked, too. He's like, well, I was pretty glad I was a senior at the time because I knew <laughs> at that moment this kid was eventually going to take my job at some sure. point. But, you know, he also – and I asked him about, you know, being a rookie in this league. And, look, Kittle didn't put up terrific numbers. I think he had – 40-some catches, 500 yards, three touchdowns as a rookie. Not bad. Very comparable. He played in 15 games. CJ Hawkinson only played in 12. Very comparable numbers problem. He said, look, you just ha- it's so hard to play tight end and rookie. He said, I didn't get it until I was 25. Hawkinson's 22 years old. He said he's going to be a great player. Don't worry about him. You have to just kind of grow up in this league, learn that position, and it takes some time. You don't ever see guys in their first year come in and light the league on fire as a rookie tight end. It just doesn't happen. Now, Kittle took off year two, year three, obviously, and he said, wait, Hawkinson's going to do the same Mm. thing. So, you know, I thought that was interesting from a guy who's been through it too, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's really good feedback from both him and Tony Gonzalez. I mean, we saw TJ tweet back at him during the week, too. Yeah. He said, hey, you call me and let me know the time and place, and I'll be there. So it's good to see that. It's good to get that feedback from guys who have played the position and know it well and be able to say, hey, he, this kid's got a lot of potential, and he's going to do big things. Yeah, speaking of, of you know Twitter and, and going back and forth, it was funny, too. I talked about the Jeff Okuda and the Darius yeah. Slay stuff. You know, I, I put out on Twitter that story, and then all of a sudden Jeff Okuda retweeted it, and then Darius Slay retweeted <laughs> Jeff Okuda, you know, starting a little back and forth there. So, yeah, it, it's really good to talk to guys, get a perspective, and then how these guys interact and, and all that kind of stuff, too. It's just, it's just a good time at the Super Bowl um, to get a lot of really, really, really good feedback and, and kind of a vision on some of these guys um, and what their future might hold. Well, to the Jeff Okuda point, I posted this when, when you posted about uh, the connection between Slay and Okuda, that I talked to three different draft analysts down in Mobile. That's kind of what I do when we're down in Mobile. I'm tracking down draft analysts and getting their thoughts on, on the Lions. And all three of the ones that I talked to predicted the Lions would take Okuda at number three. And that's the common thought across the board uh, is that that's what the Lions will do with that third pick. So it would be really interesting to see those two guys become teammates. And it's, you know, not that far-fetched to think it could happen. No, it's not far-fetched at all. I think there's a handful of guys at three. And obviously we'll see what happens with Tua and his workout and how that plays into the draft. And if any of those quarterback needy teams at five, six, seven want to move up, is it Detroit or Washington? That'll obviously affect things. But, you know, I think when you're talking the draft and guys that fit, um, defensively, there's some playmakers in this draft. Okuda, um, Simmons, um, the the linebacker from Clemson, and Derek Brown, the, the defensive tackle from Auburn. So I think you know all three of those guys could certainly be in play. The Stadium Collection, located inside Gate A at Ford Field, is your one-stop shop for all your Detroit Lions merchandise needs. Open Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. until 6 p.m. The Stadium Collection has something for every Lions fan in your life to show their pride. Well, you guys talked to some. NFL alums as well about their thoughts on different players on the Lions roster. Obviously, it's always a goal to catch up with Barry Sanders during Super Bowl week. You talked to Maurice Jones, Drew as well, and they both weighed in on the Lions running back situation. Yeah, you know, both guys were really, really good. And it was funny, I think, you know, with Barry, you know, obviously he was the man, you know, he was the guy. And so, um, you know, it was a one-back thing, and he carried the load. When I talked to Maurice Jones-Drew, he was a little bit different because when he came into the league, he had Fred Taylor. And sure. so he shared that backfield for a number of years. Before then, he became the man, and then he was a rushing leader and, and the whole bit. So he saw it both ways. 
And I thought it was interesting that both guys who have been number one backs, who were the guy, toted the rock, they were, they were, you know, they were their team's run game. I thought it was interesting that both guys liked the idea of Carrion Johnson and Bo Scarborough sharing the backfield and seeing how the league is trending that way. Now, you still have, you know, your Ezekiel Elliott's of the world, your Christian McCaffrey's, those guys that carry a lot. But you see more and more, and you saw the formula with the 49ers, that teams are choosing to do that kind of running back by committee approach. And both guys thought that that was really the way to go. They like um, what the Lions have in Carrion Johnson and Bo Scarborough. And, you know, so I thought that was kind of an interesting perspective too, just just thinking that, you know, if you can build, and Maurice Jones, you said, look, if I'm building a team, I build my offensive line, I build my defensive line, and then I get a running back and I get another running back. Obviously quarterback's important too there, but to his point, I would get two really, really good runners because it's such a position that, that, that you know, takes so much punishing blows. Um, you know, obviously those guys, um, it's a position that's injury prone along with cornerback. And so if you can get multiple guys that can carry the rock and that run game can continue to be strong, both guys thought that, that Detroit is on to something with Carrion Johnson and Bo Scarborough if that duo does indeed share the backfield for the Lions in 2020. Well, to that quarterback point, you also talked to Kurt Warner, and he seemed to feel like the Lions should build this team around Matthew Stafford. Well, you know, I think for the next three months, people are going to debate. Do of they course. take Tua Tungalup Viola, the quarterback from um, Alabama at number three, and do you start to go the route of Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes, Baltimore sure. uh, with Lamar Jackson getting a young quarterback, uh, contract friendly, and then you build around him and now you've got your quarterback of the future or at only 31 years old you have a proven guy in Matthew Stafford do you build around him continue to give him team and to Kurt Warner's point he said look this team is just never really built enough around Matthew and I know some fans that's hard to say because he's been here 11 years I think maybe 2014 was the closest when they had that really really good defense yeah um but that was a, a flash in the pan that was one year and you know then that those, that team broke up. Those pieces broke up, and so, you know, I don't. To his point, he said, "Look, I I would like to get a team around Matthew. You continue to go with a veteran guy who's got experience, and now you get to the playoffs and you see what he can do." And so, um, that was his point. But look, I talked to Nate Burleson as well, and Burleson was maybe un, more under the impression that, hey, it's been 11 years. You know, it's maybe time to start thinking about the future, um, even though, you know, Matthew is 31 years old. And so there's varying opinions out there. Obviously, the fans out there have varying opinions as well. And so it's interesting. But, you know, Kurt Warner's a guy who did it for a long time. And I think he had success late in his career as well. Right. And so that's a little bit different, too, in that he can see um, a guy like Matthew getting the right pieces around him, finding that good team, having the kind of success that he had later in his career when he was with Arizona and went to the playoffs when that was a really, really good team that they built around an older Kurt Warner. And so he's got that perspective, and I thought that was interesting. Well, that quarterback debate is going to be one we hear over and over and over again between now and April for the NFL draft. I mean, just because of all the different pieces that come into play with Stafford's injury last year and then Tua entering the draft and the Lions having the number three pick, the conversation of whether the Lions will take Tua, whether they should stick with Matthew Stafford is going to be something that is talked about so much. And I know when it comes to Combine Week, 
somebody's going to ask, Tua, have you talked to the Lions? And he's going to say yes because they talk to every single team right. there, and then it's going to become a big up. thing. Yeah. So, you know, we have to keep in mind that this is going to be a story. It is a fair debate, and we'll just have to kind of wait and see what happens. Yeah, you know, and I think it's interesting, and, I, and I've heard people say, well, look, Matthew, you know, Matthew was playing so well, and we were – three four and one with him and I think that makes the point about the roster around him some people try to use that as maybe we need something different but you know he had 19 touchdowns five interceptions 106 pass rating which I think was fifth best in the league at the time he was playing at a pro bowl caliber level and yet the team was three four and one so it goes to Kurt's point about they need to build a little bit better team around him they need to get a defense that's more in line with the middle of the road league numbers, top of the league numbers, not bottom of the league in most major statistical categories, you know. So it'll it'll definitely be an interesting debate as we go on because <laughs> Matthew was playing so, so well, but he's had to deal with back injuries the last few years. How does that factor into the decision as well? We haven't talked about that. And so it'll be certainly an interesting three months leading into the end of April in that draft. Yeah, I'm with you in terms of what we saw from Matthew Stafford in the beginning of the season is who he is as a quarterback and he plays at a high caliber and, you know, has been really good and, you know, it, it is not done here. Is a young guy going to step in and do what he did this year? And I don't think so. I don't think so either. Now, can a guy eventually do that and maybe exceed those things? That's the crapshoot of the draft. That's what Bob Quinn makes a lot of money for. You know? Well, and that's another part of it as well is that this staff has been in place and they're at a point where they need to start winning. And are you going to do that with a rookie quarterback? No. Yeah. That's, and that's, that's the huge my, factor That's the biggest here. thing in it play is. for me. It is. It is. And so, you know, I think um, – that's going to have an impact, I think, when we talk about what kinds of players they're looking to draft, too. You know, I think um, this might be with, with, you know, a mandate to be playing meaningful games, you know, in December. I think you're going to look at guys who make impact right away, maybe guys with a little bit more experience. Right. You're not going to reach for a guy, ooh, he runs fast, good numbers, you know, let's hope he can be this instead of a guy who's done it on tape. Maybe not as explosive, maybe the numbers aren't there, but a guy that you think can come in and step in and play earlier rather than later. So I think all that's going to factor into the draft too. Yeah, I think the Lions are going to need a lot of immediate contributors. For sure, and they're going to need a lot of guys to take the next step, TJ Hawkinson and some of those guys that we've talked about too. All right, one more thing from Super Bowl week that I wanted to touch on that touches on something that we haven't covered yet on the podcast. Uh, Our last podcast episode was from the Senior Bowl. Um, We sat down and talked with Chris Tapasso from CBS Sports about, uh, you know, who was playing at the Senior Bowl and all that kind of stuff. But you and I haven't really discussed what it was like to have the Lions coaches out there. And you spoke with the 49ers coaches on what that was like for them because they coached in that game last year. They had those T-shirts that said Mobile to Miami because they went from coaching the Senior Bowl one year, which the honor goes to a team who didn't play too well the previous season, and then they're in the Super Bowl the next year. So that's quite a jump that the 49ers made. What did you hear from them on what they got out of that Senior Bowl experience? Well, and it's interesting, too, because it's a lot of similarities between San Francisco and Detroit, too. Obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo, um, that year that they won four games and had the number two pick, he was hurt most of the season. 
well, Matthew Stafford was hurt most this season. They took that number two pick and got uh, Nick Bosa, who ended sure. up being the defensive rookie of the year. Lions have the number three pick, hoping to do the same thing. And so the parallels are obviously there. But, you know, I th- the one thing when I asked um, Kyle Shanahan about coaching that senior bowl, I thought the interesting thing that he said was he found out uh, guys that they didn't want. It wasn't, you mm. know, you find guys that you want, that guys that you fit. But I think for him, the interesting part was, look, I learned about some guys that I don't want, and I know I don't want. Either they don't fit, you know, can't retain the information, can't take what they learn in the film room or the meeting room and translate it to the field, or they're late, or they're not in love with football. Some of the things that you can learn about these guys being around them for a week. And I thought, that was an interesting thing because that's really what teams spend three months ahead of the draft trying to figure out is some of those intangible things, you know. And, look, colleges want their guys to get drafted um, so that they can, you know, get better recruits, you know. So they're going to talk those guys up. Obviously, the way the agents prepare these players now for their interviews and even their um, pro day interviews and their pre-draft visits to teams, I mean, it's very, very – you know, those guys are, are, are taught, you know, how to interview and how to do that stuff. Right. And so the advantage the Lions had and the 49ers had the year before is, like, you're around these kids in a football environment. This isn't an interview, you know. This isn't, you know, them running around in shorts um, at the Combine and doing a 15-minute interview that they've been prepared for. This is being in the film room with a guy, being in a meeting room with a guy, being in the hotel with the guy, being on the practice field. And so, um, look, they were around 70-some players that are going to be in this draft, and they got some really good inside information, as did Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers the year prior, on guys they want, guys they like. And, and Kyle said, look, if if we hadn't been to the Senior Bowl, we would not have probably drafted Debo Samuel. Ah. He said, that's a guy that we knew right away that we loved from coaching him and being around him at the Senior Bowl. Sure. Look what Debo Samuel did for the 49ers. He was an integral part, probably became their best wide receiver as a rookie, a big part of them getting to the Super Bowl. And so, you know, I, th- I thought it was really, really interesting from a guy that's done it and then turned around and had success on what it meant looking back to do that. You know, and, and he joked, he's like, look, no team wants to coach the Senior Bowl. You know, you want, you just got done with the season. You want to take some time off, whatever. But looking back at it, that was one of the kind of first steps of getting us to where we are now because um, we found out and got a head start on a lot of different guys. Um, and they ended up drafting Debo Samuel I talked about and Greenlaw, the linebacker that, that was became a starter, played an integral role. They drafted him from being on that senior bowl team too. So you find guys that fit um, and, and you get to know them just outside of, you know, prepared interviews and things like that. And so that was the value Kyle Shanahan had. Hopefully it's the value the Lions take from, from that week as well. What was your impression of the job the Lions did as coaches at the Senior Bowl? What did you get from kind of the little bit more access that we got as, you know, covering the team who was coaching the game? What did you take away from Senior Bowl week? Yeah, you know, I think it's nice seeing some personality with these guys. I agree. You know, and seeing kind of what they are you know, with the guys on the field, you know, um, fun loving, um, you know, some of the attention to detail. Um, and I, I thought um, Unlin and Coombs, some of the new guys, um, really detail oriented um, uh, technique stuff. Um, I thought was really, really interesting when you, when you hear them mic'd up and hear some of the things that they go through and you know, just 
having fun. You know, a lot of these guys haven't coached college in a long, long time. They kind of forget what those guys are like, all the energy and the youthfulness and all that stuff that those guys have. And I just took that. They had a lot of fun. I think they got a lot out of it. Um, they had a lot of fun doing it, and they won the game, and those guys played well. So I think that's a bonus to end the week. And so, um, you know, I, I think in the long run, the, this coaching staff, I think, is going to get a lot out of doing that. They, You know, they got a chance to put some different coaches in different situations, different position groups, um, stuff like that as well. Yeah. And so I think it's just a week that's going to help them in the long run. Well, our video crew put out a really cool video you can find on DetroitLions.com. It's the Lions coaches mic'd up from senior bowl practices. It's a really cool inside look at those practices. I mean, you get to hear those guys just being themselves. So you get a little bit of a look at their personalities, how they coach, even some of the points that they coach on in terms of technique and, and things that they're asking guys to do. And I just thought it was a really good uh, behind-the-scenes access piece. So I encourage you guys to go check that out on DetroitLines.com. You can find all the articles that Tim talked about uh, that he wrote from Super Bowl week on there as well. And, of course, we will have coverage throughout the offseason. Next up for us is the Combine. So, Tim, we're looking forward to that one. Thanks for joining us. All right, anytime.